I'm Wendy, and And this is the Start Sign Podcast, a journey of two friends training for the New York City Marathon and exploring life's start signs. These are the little nudges the universe sends us all that encourage us to start something great. Hope you enjoy. Welcome to week one of the Start Sign Podcast. Brandy, how exciting. I'm pumped. Yes, thank you all so much for listening. For those of you that haven't had a chance to listen to the pilot episode where we explain what we're all about, I'm going to give you a little skinny. So Brandy and I are training for the New York City Marathon, which is on November 5th of this year, and we decided to start a podcast to document our training journey where we will interview running experts and enthusiasts and, of course, talk about training and about running, but also talk about life's start signs, which is a term that we coined on one of our early morning runs. We think that start signs are the little nudges or the little actions that you know, come from the universe around us that encourage us to just start something great, like training for a marathon or switching careers or starting a business or starting a family. So um, we're going to talk about these things with our guests and explore them with each other too. Our episodes follow the format of a running workout. We kick off with a warm up and then we dig in to the good stuff with our guests. We finish off with what we will call five strides, and you runners with rogue running know what five strides are, and then we call it a day. So we're going to warm up, and we're just going to check in on our week and the the last kind of seven days of training, and I'll kick it off. I kind of had a, a pretty epic weekend. Instead of a long run, I... Went for my first 14er, where there, it's 14,000 feet straight up, and there are various lengths of hikes. But we, my husband and I, picked Pikes Peak, and we tackled it last last Saturday. Congratulations! Thank you. It was rough. When You're we, alive. I'm alive. I. It was a pretty humbling experience. I thought, you know, instead of instead of a long run, which we've been building up our mileage, I'll swap out for this hike and crush it, still get some, some work on the legs, but what a humbling experience. Oh my goodness. Well, you've lived to see another day. Um, I'm sure you have a lot. I did see some, some photos on Instagram. Y'all looked pretty happy at the top, but it looked like you guys were covered in snow or at least the mountain was covered in snow. Yeah. I mean, I think going from Texas and you know, Austin, when we're at 700 feet of elevation to 14,000, the altitude just just owned me. And I have to give a shout out to the honestly next level species that are living up in Colorado because I was struggling to put one foot in front of the other at the last kind of four or five miles. And I had a couple trail runners that had strapped on spikes to the bottom of their running shoes and were trail running up this mountain. And I, I mean, I got, I got a look from behind that their calf muscles were about the size of my thigh and the the level of fitness up there is incredible. So if we really want to kick it into gear, maybe we'll take a little training weekend and do some hill sprints in um, up in Colorado at Rocky altitude. Mountains. Casual, yeah. no big deal. Yeah, I'm still working out the kinks. So hopefully I'll be back back to 100% here in a couple days. But definitely, definitely some cross-training happened. Well, congratulations. I did the typical... Uh, long run on Saturday morning. This was my first double-digit run of the training series, tr- double-digit mileage run. So we did 10. 
I ran with Rogue. I started at 6.30, and I found out most people started at 5.30. Um, so there weren't that many people on the trail when I was running, but it was great. You know, I had our good friend Nicole running with us, and it was awesome because my training watch or my running watch broke recently, so I was kind of running blindly. Definitely important to kind of stick with the, you know, with the people around you, with your tribe, to kind of lean on them when you're, you're a piece of very critical equipment breaks or you don't have it with you. You know, I know that Chris and Steve on the Running Rogue podcast show, they talk a lot about the importance of bailing on your watch now and then to really tap into running based on feel versus based on the on the pace and on the watch so it was probably great that you were pushed into having to do that you know you're probably right and it was comfortable and we ran all the way to the dam uh in austin you know right on the lake and just enjoyed the the trail you know we don't run on a trail every week so feeling the you know the gravel kind of crunch under your feet is a sound that i know so many runners are familiar with and i just i love it because we don't do it every day yeah that's an awesome route so this is my arguably favorite part of our warm up. We are going to talk about our recipe from the cookbook Run Fast, Eat Slow. So, if you have a copy at home, we are on page 42, and Wendy and I both made these superhero muffins, and they turned out great. They did. And we literally have the cookbook in front of us and open right now, and one of the reasons we love this cookbook is because of the beautiful photography. And on page 43 is this gorgeous photo of these beautiful muffins with very melty chocolate chips in them. I did not use chocolate chips in mine, but, and I don't think, I would guess you didn't either. Nor did I. That is just naughty. I know. But, um, you know, the authors of this book, Shalane and Elise, say that these are great for a long Sunday run. So, you know, we, I guess, both decided that we don't need chocolate chips for a long Sunday run. Um, I think I had to sub some ingredients. I've made a couple of batches of these, you know, and they're really great to just pop in the freezer or, you know, store them all in the freezer and then pop them out when you need one of them and just let it kind of thaw for 30 seconds in the microwave or just on the counter for a couple hours. And it's, um, it's been really great. I mean, they're so delicious and moist and just awesome. Um, I don't know how you feel about that word, but. I love that word. I love a moist muffin. You do not want it any other way. <laughs> and talk to me about your moist muffins, B. So my my muffins were definitely moist, but I also had to swap in or out a few ingredients. I did not have zucchini, so I used very poorly shredded carrots. Um, so they were a little chunky. Mine were a little bit chunky, and um, I don't think I used butter. I, I used applesauce instead, and they still came out really great. So, um, But I, I, I will admit, I have a problem with adjusting recipes. It's, it's, a, it's very difficult for me to stick to the instructions and the quantities and the ingredients. So this is going to be a really great exercise for me to just follow the damn recipe. <laughs> See how it comes out. You don't have to be so creative every time. But no, I get it. I'm the same way. And I don't think I had almond meal, so I used coconut meal for one of the batches or coconut flour. Um, you know, it, it works. It works. You know, you're getting the nutrition. Now, the authors of this book, Brandy, would be very upset with you for eliminating butter. I know. And it specifically says in the description of this of this book that butter, don't fear the butter. It's It's part of fueling up with healthy fats and it's a great way to start your day. So sorry, Shalane. Sorry, Elise. I will do better next time. And these are definitely a repeat, y'all. Yeah. And Wendy has about 
50 in her freezer. So anyone nearby, come <laughs> she's on and out muffins. Okay. So now for our guest of the day. You guys, we sat down with Chris McClung, who is the co-owner of Rogue Running. If you are in the running community, you know you know of this kind of fitness mecca probably very well. Um, Chris and Steve really wanted to bring advanced running to the everyday runner. You know, you can follow an advanced running running plan and training plan without you know training for the Olympics. So they've really created kind of a unique model and. It, they haven't stopped with with just traditional running groups. They've got an awesome retail store with great footwear and kind of the hottest styles in, in running apparel. They also have a running travel business, which Wendy and I definitely have our eye on. Um, and then they've got a super gnarly running trail series and just an incredible list of, of coaches that are there to support um, athletes of all levels to reach their goals. We thought it was perfectly appropriate to kick off our podcast by interviewing our running coach, Chris. He is an experienced podcaster himself. He and Steve, his um, his other co-owner, have a podcast called Running Rogue that's very running specific and gets a little more technical than we're ever going to get on our running podcast. And he's also done a different podcast called Dads on Duty. Um, he has three kids. Totally adorable podcast. Uh, so yeah, great guest to kick off with. Um, we're going to be spending a lot of time with Chris over the next several months. And so we really wanted to use this opportunity to just kind of dig in with him about running, but also about, you know, his other successes in life and in business. He totally understands the concept of start signs, right? I mean, he came so prepared to talk with us about the start signs that helped him turn his passion for running into a career. And I can't wait for everybody to hear about the start sign that he identified at the wise age of 13 years old that literally changed the trajectory of his life. And you guys, we also get into some super secret language behind the rogue running tribe. Um, Chris shares his favorite running advice, which includes JFR. And we also talk about the NLS that comes with super hardcore marathon training. So if you're curious what those acronyms stand for, stay tuned and find out what this all means. dig right in. We know that you have been running. You probably have nearly, I think, two decades of running experience and about half of that um, in, in coaching. So where did this all start for you? Started for me as an athlete growing up. I was a soccer player and that was my primary sport. I played a lot of sports growing up, but soccer was my primary thing. So at the age of five, I started my aerobic development sort of on accident by running for you know, 45 to 90 minutes in soccer games from from five till about 20. And so I did a lot of running, but I didn't really think of running at the time as anything more than just a tool to use on the soccer field. And largely it was punishment. If, if, I, if I, was, I was doing it by myself, we used to have to run laps if we gave up a certain number of goals after certain soccer games at, at one point in my soccer career. So for me, it was largely punishment, but when I finished my soccer career and I stopped playing early in college, I needed something to do to stay in shape, and I also needed another competitive outlet. And so I had a friend of mine who had run cross-country in high school that was a friend in college, and he got me out running this three-mile loop around our campus in Houston. I went to Rice University undergrad. 
And so we called it the outer loop. It was a three-mile loop, so he had me running that. And fortunately, after 15 years of unknowingly training for running by, you know, running around a soccer field, I was actually pretty decently developed for aerobically and pretty good at it. And he kind of got me to train. We trained for our first half marathon together, although something got in the way of us doing that. I don't even remember what it was, but ultimately we did a 10K together uh, and my third year in college that became my introduction to running and that 10k the rodeo run in Houston was my first race and it sort of hooked me because it became something I could compete with not necessarily with other people although at times I've done that but mainly compete with myself and really gave me an outlet to push myself and to find those dark places you know in yourself that you need to work through or perhaps find new limits and so that's that's what I've been doing, and largely since about 99, 2000, I've been running. That's been my primary sport, hobby, and I love it. My relationship with that, with running has changed through the years, but it's still something that I use as a competitive outlet to push myself. So it went from punishment to <laughs> hobby, and now to a lot more than a hobby. So when did you realize it was more than a hobby for you? I, I became pretty obsessed with running early on. I'm sort of one of those people that if I find something I'm interested in, then I have to know everything about it. And fortuitously, although at the time it wasn't fortuitous, I actually got a stress fracture changing training for my first marathon. And so I did a 10K and then I decided, why, why do anything in between? Let's just go straight to the marathon. So we started, again, my friend who'd introduced me to running, we started training for the Chicago Marathon. And at the time, I didn't know any better. And so I kind of went out and ran too fast all the time and made a lot of the dumb rookie mistakes that people make early in marathon training. And so I got a stress fracture, a tibial stress fracture, that I think I almost pushed a full fracture. I, I didn't know that I was injured really at the time, and but it just kept getting worse and worse. And eventually, I had to take three months off of running completely to let that heal. And during those three months, because I couldn't run, I became obsessed with running everything about running from following elite level running to reading running books to everything I could read about coaching. And so that three months, I, I remember going to Barnes and Noble when people used to go to Barnes and Noble and like sit and read and sort of steal books, you know, without actually buying them and then leave. And I would do that for hours on end and read running books, anything I could find from Jack Daniels running formula to Pete, um, Fitzinger's advanced marathoning. A lot of different books, and so I just became obsessed with it. And that was really the beginning of my coaching career, even though I wasn't formally coaching anyone for another probably four or five years. I began to coach myself through my knowledge that I, that I gained through that period. And then once I got healthy again, sort of was able to avoid all the mistakes I made in that first mm -hmm. marathon cycle. Yeah, did... Did you know from a, from a young age that you wanted to be a coach later on in life, or did that that did that kind of fall on you? It's always been something that's of interest. I was always a team captain on teams growing up, playing soccer, and in college I actually coached uh, powder puff football. We had women's flag football league at our at our university, and and it was a big a big deal really competitive really big deal and all of the dorms had a team and i coached the offense for our team for a couple of years and so i've always been interested in coaching broadly even beyond running and 
that was really coaching powder puff football was my really first formal coaching experience other than coaching friends and or kind of being a a player coach in a captain role and so it's always been something I'm interested in and once I became as deep in the running world as I became it was a natural extension of that yeah and it sounds like you know you have a natural ability to coach and and you've come from a coaching background you have as a collegiate athlete you're constantly coached Um, I think that's kind of built into the formula with people that turn out to be really great coaches um, later on in life so did you have a certain mentor or a certain coach that has really shaped your coaching style and philosophy um there's many I would say there's not one seminal coaching relationship that I've had but I've always respected my coaches and put a lot of trust in them regardless of who they were and I had a lot of different soccer coaches growing up I've had now several different running coaches that coach me and I've learned something from all of them from there were a couple of soccer coaches early on that you know for me I wasn't a skill player or you know I had decent skill but I wasn't a skill player and so early on in my soccer career they had me playing midfield because I I was fast and I could run for a long time and and I, so I had one coach coach Farmer who realized that my strength wasn't actually in the midfield that it was in the defense and so I became a center back about midway through my soccer career and kind of found my own on the soccer field as a result and you know was sort of the guy who would direct traffic from the back and also take take on the team the you know the opposing team's best player and a lot of that was because I had a coach that recognized my strengths and then put me in the role to optimize those strengths and it really allowed me to flourish as a soccer player whereas you know I'd kind of been struggling a little bit before that and so he's one example of somebody and so I, one of the things I took from that and I've taken from other coaches that I've had is that you have to coach the individual athlete everybody you know obviously you can coach in a group context or in a team context and do things as a group or as a team but you have to coach the individual athlete and figure out what their individual strengths are what their individual weaknesses are and coach to that and so that's always something I've brought to my coaching is to try to coach the individual even in the context of a group well and I think in you know you've coached so many individuals over the last you know 10 plus years that you've been coaching and I'm curious to know whether you think that, you know, can running really be that sport for just anyone or everyone? Or, you know, are there some people that running is just not for? I think everybody can run. There's a famous Bill Bowerman quote, if you have a body, you're an athlete. And I think if you have a body, you're a runner as well. It's just a matter of whether you're in training or not. However, I put a big asterisk on that because I think you also have to enjoy it. And there's some people that just, for whatever reason, don't like it. And so when I talk to people about getting active, if they're inactive, is you have to find that activity that you connect with. And for some people, it's running. And for some people, it's not. It's cycling, it's yoga, it's swimming, it's spin classes or whatever it may be. And so, so yes, I think physically anybody can be a runner, but I don't think everybody should be a runner. I think you should, you have to find the thing that you enjoy because if you don't enjoy it, it's not worth it. It's not just about staying in shape. It's not just about losing weight or, or you know, you know, having a healthy heart or whatever it may be. It's about enjoying and finding fulfillment through your activity. So, I think that's important. This is you have to find something you enjoy, and and it's and as a result, it's not for everybody. Now, I will say that not everybody gives running the right 
opportunity to sort of be that form of enjoyment for them because maybe they're doing it solo, maybe they're doing it wrong and they're suffering as a result. And so there are ways to experience it, I think, that might show people that they can enjoy it. But I don't necessarily think it's the thing that everybody has to love and do. What are some of those ways that you encourage people to explore? One is, especially when you're starting, is you got to slow down. I mean, people go out and they run too fast. You know, my favorite thing or mistake of new runners is they find a, you know, two, three, four mile loop around their house and then they go run it every day or every other day. And they think if they just get faster each time they do that loop, then they'll get faster overall. When really what they're doing is just beating their head against the wall because running training and optimizing aerobic fitness has nothing to do with trying to beat yourself every day. And so if you just slow down and enjoy it, walk, run if you have to, start by walking more than running if you have to, run really, really easy so you can breathe and and speak comfortably in full sentences, then you can actually enjoy it versus suffering and slogging through it, especially on a warm summer day. So the first thing is just to slow down. Second thing is find people to do it with. You know, everybody thinks running is a solo sport, but it's not. It's not... And it's not only not a solo sport in the fact that you can do it with other people, but it's also not a solo sport in that you can also get energy and motivation and and feel a team environment that may not you know have a team based result, but everybody's individual results within the context of our team, my team, morning show, I believe is a combination of everybody's efforts together and not just you know now 95 individuals running on their own so it's a team sport if you embrace that and obviously we at road believe in that but there are other places if you're not in austin or even if you don't want to run with rogue in austin there are other groups that are out there that can show you the power of working in a group so find people to do it with or even if it's just your neighbor or your friend or yeah we've been we've been just kind of blown away by the Saturday run community that shows up for the Saturday run at Rogue. I mean, you guys, or we at this point, (laughs) take over the city. I mean, it's, it's like hundreds of people all on the same route, kind of with this beautiful, positive energy. Um, it's been, it's been really cool to see and early in the morning, 530 AM on a Saturday. It's just, it's It's a neat group of people. It's crazy. Yeah. The, yeah, cool, the cool thing for me about that is not just the fact that you've got that many people out there, but also the fact that there are no masks at 5.30 a.m., especially on a warm spring day. And so you get authenticity from everybody. And as a result, you get this sharpening that happens that goes well beyond fitness, where you're just interacting with people and learning from them, talking about everything under the sun. And so it's, it's a magical experience. Magical Uh, is definitely how I would describe it. um, And that's part of what keeps me doing it, you know, every week, not just running, but coaching because there's magic in that energy. Yeah. There's magic in that community. And we feel that, you know, it's just a different level when it's, I mean, Brandy and I have really gotten a lot out of running together. Fortunately, we're neighbors. We live really close to each other. So we're able to just hop out of bed and meet at the sign and run. Um, but there's just something so magical about the community that you've created and Brandy being a first time marathoner. It's, it's awesome, you know, for both of us to experience this together. I have one under my belt, but several other shorter races. 
And Brandy, you know, she's training for her very first. So I want to get into that. The rookie. Because it's been this really fun dynamic, right? <laughs> so the very first piece of advice you've already given us is slow down, right? Yeah. I'd love for you to talk a little bit more, especially with Brandy, about, you know, advice and tips for first-time marathon runners. Yeah, and well, when you were kind of outlining all of your first-time marathon rookie mistakes, I mean, you are just checking all of my boxes. <laughs> I, I was a, a collegiate swimmer. So, you know, I, I thought my cardiovascular um, capacity was kind of up, up to the stuff, but boy, was I wrong. And I run too fast. I, you know, want to get it done as quickly as possible. I look at every run like a, a workout where I should be pushing myself as hard as possible. So anyway, all of, all of those things and more I'm doing. So yeah, let's talk about how to really slow down and yeah. how important that well, is. Well, the swimming background will help you. Eventually, we'll tap into that in a way that you'll feel, but it might take a little bit of time. But the first thing is just that people have to understand the, the concepts. You know, it's like I'll talk to people and they think you have to run fast to be faster as a runner. And that's true partially. But when you're starting or restarting or even for somebody like me who's been training for 15 years – there are times when you have to, you know, kind of reset and spend this period in what we call base building, where you're essentially trying to build your aerobic foundation. Because what we're ultimately trying to do is change how your body is constructed from the inside out. You've got to add mitochondria to your cells. You've got to have more capillaries in all of your muscles. Your oxygen or your blood's ability to carry oxygen has to improve and become more efficient. Your lungs' ability to take oxygen and move it to your bloodstream efficiently has to improve. And so we're having to, we want to, in order to make you a faster runner, we've got to make physiological changes to your aerobic engine, to use a car analogy. And the only way to make those physiological changes is if you're in training in the right aerobic zone. And that's a slow, controlled, comfortable zone where you can speak in full sentences. That, that's the effort level where you're actually building that physi the, those physiological changes. And for some people, it's easier to translate it to weightlifting. If you think about lifting weights, and if you're a swimmer, you've done the bench press. And if I, if I told you I want you to improve your bench press, your, your daily ability to bench press, you know, say five reps, you wouldn't go in and put, you know, 245-pound plates on there and start lifting right away. No, you would start at a lower weight, higher volume, and you would do that consistently and then occasionally test your max. The same is true in running. You got to start lower intensity or, you know, less weight, so to speak, and uh, more volume. And then over time, you can earn the right to go faster as that, as those physiological changes happen. And so when you go too fast and you're breathing too heavily when you run, you're actually wasting time. Like you, you, you might as well have not been running because you're in the wrong aerobic zone to change your aerobic capacity, and to build the size of your engine. So you're actually better off by slowing down, being able to breathe, speak in full sentences, because then we're starting to make those physiological changes we need to make in order to ultimately earn the right to go faster in another time or on race day. So you got to go slow to go fast. Slow down, and girl. It's, yeah. it's counterintuitive, but it works. And believe me, I had to learn that the hard way myself after a tibial stress fracture because that's what will happen. It's not only will you not be developing your aerobic system the right way, but you also get hurt, which then means you can't do the race you want to do, which happened to me. 
Yeah, you you know, you and your business partner, Steve, talk a lot about positive mantras, and that is definitely mine right now. You have to slow down to go fast. But let's talk about breathing on a more <laughs> simple level because okay. I think there's there's an anatomy lesson here that I have missed because okay. even even if I'm running a 12-minute mile, it's just not happening for me. I Wendy tries, you know, we joke all the time, I really get her going on these long-winded stories so that I can just interject maybe like a mm -hmm, so or, oh, yeah, <laughs> so yeah, girl, so I don't have to talk. And okay. literally that amount of words so takes there's... everything out of me. I hold my breath, I talk, and then I'm, I'm about to suffocate and pass out in the bush. So there's a couple of things. One is more basic, which is that you have a dog. No. Okay. You can borrow mine. Will a cat work? Do you, do you ever walk to Matt's El Rancho from here? Yeah. Okay. So when you're strolling to a dinner spot around here, maybe a trailer on South Lamar, are you breathing heavily? No. Okay. So there's somewhere between that effort and whatever effort you're running where you can find a happy place where you can speak. And if you have to start by walking slowly and, and, and gradually increasing that pace or that, that even walking pace, to a very slow jog in order to find that range for you where you can breathe. I don't care what the pace is. That is irrelevant. What matters is the effort. So I would practice. Start, on a, start at a brisk walk and then go to a very slow jog and then find that place where it switches from I can speak to I can't speak. That's a great tip. I, that's kind of what I was hoping for. And I'm going to go with that instead of it's just my aerobic capacity at this point. So I will report back to you okay. and, let, and let you know if that's if that's All right, and I'll hold you accountable if the water stops on Wednesdays. Um, now the talking is another is, is for another day. I, I still need to learn how to, how to talk and run at the same time. One thing I'll say though too, just interjecting briefly, is that it might mean that you need to at times run with a different running partner. It's possible that Wendy is a little bit ahead of you in this game at this point, and you need to drop back to the next person on the road or the next group, find a new friend, and run their pace for a while and see what happens. Yeah, so you've touched on a really interesting <laughs> dynamic here. Wendy and I actually met at our neighborhood CrossFit gym, and she's kind of my carrot to chase, and I think hopefully some days I'm hers. So We're that's really to tough to hear, Chris. <laughs> I hear you. So thank you for that. But there are a I lot will. of nice people at Rogue. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's it's more of just a pride thing and, and cutting her loose and letting her you gotta go. Gotta set but. your ego aside. You gotta set your ego aside because ultimately it will mean that you'll beat her in the long run. Yeah. No, I I think <laughs> sounds I like a challenge. Yeah. <laughs> and it's news true. news flash to our listeners. We've really set this podcast up just so I can have a personal interview with Chris. <laughs> you have a lot of runners at the morning show and this was an excuse to get you one on one and answer all of my burning questions. I'm okay so with I'm okay with you. that. Um, okay. So, you know, I've heard you guys talk about a, a plan for your race. Everyone has a plan until you get punched in the face. <laughs> so what, how do you deal with the suffering and the pain that comes with a long run or maybe that wall that you hit in the marathon or on a long training run? That's a big question. And we have a whole series on mental training on our podcast, Running Rogue, which gets to a lot of that. The first thing to me starts well before that suffering begins, which is knowing your purpose. And when you start training for a race, a big goal like New York for you guys, you have to be doing it for a reason. And that reason has to be bigger than just completing a marathon or running a certain time. You need to 
be doing it for more. So I, the first question I always ask people when I meet them for the first time or have a one-on-one conversation is why are you doing this? What is the bigger purpose for you? And that is really a personal thing. And so I think anybody who's starting a training program needs to spend a little bit of time thinking through that. We have an episode on it called Why Do You Run that talks about some ways or an exercise to go through to kind of crystallize that for you. But that's where it starts is really understanding your purpose. And then from that, translating that to a tangible goal that you can think about and latch onto in those dark moments and sort of rest your eyes ahead when it's hard to, you know, rest them straight ahead of you. And so that's the foundation is really understanding your purpose and why you're doing it. In the midst of those runs, there's a mix of tactics that I recommend to people. One of those is just having people to do it with, as we've talked about. You know, when when you're out there at 5.30 a.m. and eventually you guys will do 20 miles in August and you're going to need support for that, not just runners around you, but also water stop folks that can help you and give you the right fueling and nutrition to get through it. And so having a group dynamic through the suffering makes it more manageable. Um, but there are other things. You, you mentioned the mantras. That's another thing that I'm a big proponent of, not just in racing, but sometimes on a training run, is having a word or phrase or a couple of them that you can tap into that ideally ties back to your purpose that distracts you that sort of dissociates you from that suffering in the moment and reminds you why you're doing it. So those are some tactics. There's some other ones as simple as one thing I use is counting to 30 in my head, sometimes 60, sometimes 35 or seven, wherever I end up stopping and then restarting. But just counting can sometimes just dissociate you from the pain and get you into a new place, especially if you decide just to change the pace for 30 seconds. Just do something different for 30 seconds and count to 30, and sometimes that's enough to snap you out of out of a, a funk. So those are some tactics, but I've got more, and I'll share those over the course of our training cycle together. Awesome. Yeah, you can't share it all right here. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, so you touched on the, the Running Rogue podcast which is a great resource for both beginner and very experienced runners. Um, do you have any other resources that you love and are particularly impactful for you? So one, I like to tell people that if you're going to get into this sport as an athlete, get into it as a fan as well, because there's so much inspiration to be found by watching elite level runners, even if it's not the top of the top, but whether it's local elites or U.S. you know high-level athletes training in the track or the marathon, connecting to those athletes and their stories is really powerful. And that's one reason why in my emails every week to my group, I include sort of a daily inspiration. Sometimes it comes from those sources. And there's so much inspiration to be found in this sport from those that are competing at the highest level. So that's one thing is just become a fan. And if you become a fan, then you also then pick up tips along the way, whether it's an, an elite athlete giving a tip sort of offhand, talking about their own training in an interview, or maybe you come across the coaches, you know, of those athletes and some of the tips that they provide. So if you're a fan of the sport, you can't help but learn about it and also find inspiration from it. I mentioned Daniel's running formula, I think that's, to me, the Bible when it comes to, if you're really into running, coaching, and understanding all the physio- physiological stuff, Daniel's running formula is sort of a must-read for anybody. It's 
pretty thick and it's dense at times, but it's also very readable. And I think he does a good job of translating it to somebody who can, can understand it at any level. So that's one I would recommend at least checking out. Um, and Running Rogue would be the third thing I would mention. I think we've done a good job. I mean, not to toot our own horn. I think we've done a good job of translating our training principles and some of the advanced training principles into something anybody can understand. We have a whole series on our training principles that starts with our very first episode. And so if you go there and listen to us, then I think it gives you some really good foundational elements. Plus, yeah, and you guys do kind of a segment before you dig into the actual content every week of, of what's happening on the running scene. Um, and that's been a really great lens for me personally to know what I need to go look at as a fan. Um, so that's that's great advice. One more question from the rookie before we kind of transition. <laughs> um, so I also have run a 10K and yep. that's about it. So we jumped right into the marathon Sounds like you did the same thing. I did. And if I run slow to run fast and kind of follow the, trust the training plan, follow the principles, am I going to be okay? You are. Really, I mean, that's the beauty of having a coach, whether it's us at Rogue or somebody else is if you have a coach that you can trust and you can turn your brain off and just do it, just execute, just do what they say. And that's all you really have to do. If you just do what I say and if you have questions or if something pops up where you're hurting if you check in with me and we can work through it at that time, then it's paint by numbers beyond that because we will get you ready. And our program is probably tougher than any program out there. I mean, Steve started Rogue with the foundational concept that he wanted to bring elite athlete training principles to the everyday runner, believing that you didn't have to water it down. Certainly the paces are different and some of the intensity is different, but it's all the same training principles that they follow and it's challenging but we'll never my promise to you as a coach is I'll never give you something you can't handle and that by the end of it you'll be ready for New York so I'm so excited yeah (laughs) and terrified (laughs) so Chris I want to get back to something you mentioned a few minutes ago about you know running for a larger purpose not just to check the box or hit a certain time but what is that purpose for you so for me, it's evolved. Initially, as a, as a runner, when I started, as I mentioned, it was about competition. It was about competing with myself. It was about finding and testing my own limits. And it's still about that, for sure. That's never gone away. But now there's two other pieces for me that are really important and maybe more important than that. One is that I have this team around me. I, I train with a group at Rogue called Team Rogue. It's sort of our advanced group. And Steve, who's my co co-host with Running Rogue is my coach and and so I run with that group Tuesday Thursdays and then some Saturdays when I'm when I'm able to run with the group and that is my running family. I mean, I, I can't tell you how many miles I've run with those people and and how much I've learned about myself just in silly conversations with them about everything under the sun. But as a group, we compete together and we're not necessarily racing as a team anywhere, but we're all in it together and all of our results, I think, are interconnected. So I run for them and to help contribute to that ethos of showing each other that we can accomplish big things if we do it together. So that's something big for me. And then something else that's big for me as a coach is this that I want to inspire. Um, I, I believe 
very strongly in my ability to help athletes achieve their goals. And a part of that is the coaching element, but I think also a part of it is leading by example and showing people that I can dream big and follow the same training principles they're following as my athletes and then accomplish big things as well. And I think that inspires the runners in my group to do things that they might not think possible. So that's a big part of it, especially now as I've, as I go into this, you know, I sort of feel like I'm in this transition as a runner where I'm kind of looking, you know, I'm 37. I've got the masters running on the horizon and I'm at a place where I have to be smart as smart about my running as ever because my body is aging and changing. And, and, and so there's sort of, I'm at this kind of transition point. I feel where the future for me is about as much about inspiring people as it is about testing my own limits. And so that's a, probably the biggest reason why I do it now. Well, and you've been able to inspire so many people and you're obviously very gifted at that. And I'd love to dig into where along the way, you know, you realized that about yourself. You were in a completely different career as a management consultant, (laughs) right? Before you went back to business school. And I am very interested to hear about that transition and what start signs you saw in your life that gave you this, you know, inspiration to change course. There's two big ones that I'll talk about. One from eighth grade. Oh, way back. <laughs> yeah. Which, I, you know, which as you, you know, you kind of sent some preliminary questions. I was reflecting on this question because I think this concept of start sign is really a powerful one. And we all have those moments, but we don't always sit back and kind of recognize them. But when I was in eighth grade, there was this sort of seminal moment in my, you know, young, you know, childhood that where I had to choose my high school. I grew up in a district in Dallas where you could pick your high school. And I had gone to a gifted and talented middle school, and I had the opportunity to go to a a gifted and talented high school, as well as another public high school that was um, closer to where I lived. And so I had to make this big decision on which school to go to. Do I go into this international baccalaureate, IB, you know, gifted and talented program, or do I go to sort of a normal public school? And my parents... I really appreciate this. You know, they sort of left it up to me. They said, look, you know, you have this opportunity, but you can choose. Do what you think is right for you. And and so it kind of started this several-month process of soul-searching as an eighth grader of what do I want to do. And reflecting on that now, I think it was, it was a really transformative process for me. And at one point, and you know, we used to go to church every every week growing up, and I... I remember reading this Bible verse from Romans that says, Blessed is the one who does not condemn himself by what he approves. And so for me, at the moment, that was kind of this aha uh, moment that I think has translated into a lot of decisions later in my life, which is that you know, don't make a decision that you're going to regret or that you're going to beat yourself up over. Um, And looking at that IB program, that gifted and talented program, I knew that it was going to be really intense, really focused academically, and that would require a lot of sacrifices in other areas of my life that I just wasn't willing to make. And so I made the decision to go to the normal public high school against the best advice of all my teachers. My principal from my middle school called me in and talked to me one-on-one. She's like, what are you doing? You know, you have this opportunity. Why wouldn't you take it? And, and I just said, I don't think it's for me. You know, I'm, I want to do more than just be, you know, focused on academics. And soccer was a big part of my life. And, 
and friends and other things. I wanted to have a normal life. And so I went to this normal public high school. And so that moment for me was this sort of forming a moment of one, realizing that you don't have to go with the grain or do what everybody's telling you to do. And I think that translated to decisions later, but also made me realize that for me, balance is really important. And tapping into sort of a life that's holistic and not just, you know, singularly focused was really important. And so that was one start sign for me that I think became very formative. There was another one for me, actually, the week before I started grad school at UT, we had this career camp. And it was led by a group of alums from McCombs at UT. And I remember thinking going into it, this was before even our orientation days, why are we doing a career camp before school started? Because I thought, we've got two years to figure this out. You know, I was in the full-time program there. Why is this starting now? And one of the first talks was given by one of, the, uh, one of our alums. And, you know, he said, look, your journey to find a career on the other side of this program starts right now. You need to do some soul searching to figure out what you want to be when you grow up, what you want to be on the end of this. And if you don't know, that's okay, but you at least need to know what you want to try, what you want to experiment with you know, with, and have a plan for experimentation so that you can be very pointed about that over the next two years because otherwise it's going to fly by and then you're just going to take some job that came through career services that you're not going to enjoy and you're going to be miserable on the other side of this. So that was sort of a, a start sign and in some ways a stop sign is sort of a slap in the face of, okay, I got to wake up and figure out what I want to be. I'd come for management consulting. I didn't want to go back there. I ultimately did, but that's a longer part of the story. But it made me realize that I need to do some soul searching and figure out what I wanted to be. That was when I decided that I wanted to do something in the sports and fitness industry, ideally running related because I'd become in that time between college and and, uh, grad school really obsessed with running as we've talked about. And so I wanted to marry my career with my passion and that became the moment to say, okay, this is your opportunity to do that. And so literally that next day I emailed a, a McCombs alum that worked at Nike, made a connection with him to do an informational interview that ultimately led to an internship at Nike that ultimately led me on this path to realizing this is something I wanted to do. Now, if I had tried to script where I ended up then, I would have screwed it up. But that single decision point made me put me on a path to experimentation and to trying things and to following open doors that ultimately led to Rogue. And if I hadn't had that sort of start sign, I would have probably, I probably wouldn't be sitting here. Well, so I would love to hear more about, you know, what did ultimately lead you to Rogue? Were you already involved with Rogue? I mean, how, was this something that you pursued or that pursued you? How did that, how did that happen? So it started with that start sign because I made the Nike connection. And then at the time, Runtex was the big running store in town. And so I, as a part of my Two years at McCombs, did a couple of projects with Paul Carosa, the founder of Runtex, and Steve worked at Runtex at the time. He was a coach for them with Runtex University. He worked on the retail floor. And so I met him as a part of that process, working with Paul on a couple of side projects for him. And so, you know, we met, we made a connection, but, you know, nothing really was more to it. Then my wife graduated from medical school. She got her residency in Houston. I needed to be in Houston. 
had an offer to go work for Nike, but I couldn't take it because I, you know, needed to, to stay in Houston with my wife, Amy. And so I went back to Houston and went back into management consulting because that's what I could do there that even though it wasn't sports and fitness directly, allowed me to do a lot of consumer and retail focused work in consulting that ultimately once Amy finished her residency and we were able to get back to Austin, I was then able to um, sort of reconnect in my connections here, reconnected with Steve and sort of talked about kind of getting involved with Rogue. And at the time he had a partner that wasn't working, you know, with on the retail side of their business. And so, you know, we reconnected and basically over a period of about six months, kind of worked through a new visioning process for Rogue and, and then ultimately I decided to buy in, helping to buy out that old partner and bring in additional capital to open our location in Cedar Park at the time. And so it all kind of snowballed from that original start sign and those connections at UT that I couldn't have choreographed myself. It's just sort of like me setting an intention to go after something and then walking through the, the doors as they opened. Yeah, and... I'd love to talk a little bit about the evolution of Rogue since, you know, you've come on board. When when you when you joined as as a co-owner, Rogue was 6 years old at that point. What was kind of the vision and the purpose of the business then and then how has it changed as you guys look forward? Ooh, that's a big question. The and it's still evolving. So, you know, as we as we speak, the beauty of small business is that you can you're flexible and you can kind of adapt rapidly. For us at the time, you know, we spent, like I said, six months kind of creating a vision for the next five years at the time. So that would have been 2010. So we had a vision through 2015. And really the plan was to create more physical locations, more brick and mortar retail training combinations. Cedar Park was our first experiment with that. And then we, at various times, were looking at a third and potentially fourth location um, as a part of that vision, sort of replicating what we had. In the midst of that, the retail world changed, mm-hmm. and it's still changing, and ultimately will evolve into way in ways that none of us can now know or forecast. And so... Running retail specifically is is more challenge, I think, than overall, you know, than than um, than a lot of retail because you've got these small format, small format situation, specialty in some ways, but without specialty margins. You also have big inventory commitment that's very fragmented with footwear and sizes and colors and models and genders. You know, most of the target inventory levels for a SKU that we carry is is one. You know, it's like I need one 12 and a half Mizuno Rave Redder and that's it. If somebody buys it, then I have to reorder. But, but you know, you can't afford to carry, you know, two of those because you've also got a thousand other SKUs. Um, so it's just like, it's complicated and it's challenging. And amidst the encroachment of online retail and people changing their buying patterns and habits, retail changed. So it's forced us to kind of reassess and look at it. And, and as a part of that, we realized that, replicating the physical physical locations isn't doesn't make sense anymore because you know growing especially on the retail side that way is just bad business you know ultimately you know i think even 
the Walmarts of the world will look very different in 10 years than they do now because retail is just evolving very quickly. So our focus now is, is sort of shifted towards, you know, obviously we still have the retail store and that's not going to change. And we're looking at ways to evolve retail and sort of move into the future there that are, you know, kind of new and creative. But we've also sort of looked at the training side of our business and the vision there is to really figure out ways that we can take it beyond our four walls through content dissemination like we're doing with the podcast, through potentially some virtual programs. We just started our first um, virtual program called Eat Run 101 where I'm coaching athletes in Austin, Dallas, and Houston for a couch to 5k beginner program that's also we're partnering with a nutritionist who's, or a health coach who's helping us with the nutrition side for that so we're starting to experiment with ways to expand our footprint virtually and to reach more people because our fundamental mission and this hasn't changed is to change people's lives through running and so now we're just evolving how we do that mm-hmm. um yeah it sounds like you know, you're moving away from this model of inventory and kind of moving into much bigger ideas. Um, but kind of playing on that idea, did did you or Steve have any idea, you know, back in, in 2004 or 2011 that Rogue would become this tribe to so many people? I mean, you see a Rogue sticker on someone's car or a water bottle or they're wearing a t-shirt and it's this gritty badge of honor you guys are known for next level shit <laughs> and you know what did you is that surprising to you that it's become this kind of mecca no i mean yes and no i mean for me i entered i entered rogue in 2010 when it was already kind of that and certainly our community has grown and evolved since then but steve to me gets all the credit for being the guru of sorts the the soul of Rogue and, and really, and Ruth as well and Carolyn, you know, they're two other of the, you know, kind of original Rogue founders that were in the mix creating that community. But, you know, I don't think any of them thought this is what it would be. You know, it was just about a formula of creating, a, first of all, challenging people and giving them elite athlete level training so that they can be pushed and challenged. And so that was one part of it. But the other part of it was creating this authentic environment where people could be themselves, challenge challenge themselves in authentic ways, and sharpen as people and not just athletes. And so that has kind of become this contagious thing. And, you know, at one point after I became involved in Rogue, we kind of crystallized that. We've had a a phrase floating around Rogue that we've used at various times, but it's now become a bit of a tagline which is just fucking run. It's like, just get out there and fucking do it. And that ethos is contagious and pervasive and not everybody likes that word. But to me, it is as someone who doesn't say that word a lot. I like it because it, it kind of gets you down to brass tacks <laughs> um, and it makes people listen. And so anyway, but what amazes me as someone who's in it now and lived it for a long time is that, it's just that people are so drawn to it and that it can evolve. Our community evolves. Some people come and go. The thing that's powerful about what Steve did with Rogue early on is that he never made it about himself. So it's not Steve's Rogue. It's Rogue is Rogue. It's a community. It's a family. And no one person is more important. 
Steve left for a while, and at the time I joined Rogue, he actually wasn't even involved full-time because he was coaching at UT. The, the, he was the distance coach for women there. And in a lot of ways, that was the best thing that could have happened to Rogue because it showed that Rogue isn't about Steve. It isn't about me. It isn't about any one person. And we've had coaches come and go. We've had athletes come and go. It's the culture. And that lives on no matter the faces that show up on Saturday and that's the part that is amazing to me is that, and sort of like, sometimes you wonder how, like how we perpetuate that. How do we keep it going? And we work very hard at it. We talk about it a lot. We spend hours talking about things that you guys would probably laugh about in terms of the minutia of what we do, because every detail matters to kind of create that culture and give people the opportunity to experience it the way they do. But how we do it, I don't know, <laughs> because it's 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 about you guys as much as it is us. And you know, for me with my morning show athletes, the culture in that group is as much about the athletes in the group as it is about the culture that I create. And that to me is the magic: is that it's not just a couple of us creating this culture; it's the community, and now it lives and it has a mind of its own. And that's the part that's always refreshing and surprising to me. Yeah, and I, among all of that, I mean, I'm sure you're totally proud and beaming, you know, when you see the hundreds of runners on Saturday mornings, you know, running throughout the streets of Austin. Is there any, like, one moment in particular that is your shining, proud moment as it relates to Rogue? Most of my proud moments, that's obviously a thing of pride. When we were on the east side, I used to love it when coming back from a long run, and on the east side we had this big dirt gravel lot that everybody would park in now we're not as fortunate we've got kind of people parking all over in the neighborhoods on the streets in our lot but on the east side we had this huge gravel lot that that fit hundreds of cars and rolling back from a long run and just seeing the sun coming up from the east shining on all those hoods and windshields at crazy hours that was always that was always kind of cool it's like wow like people are here for this but for me, the moments that I kind of tap into are the the athlete moments. You know, like I said, I, I'm a big I, I'm a big I'm a coach who focuses on the individual, and that's an important thing to me. And so, it's the athlete triumphs. It's the moments I have with athletes where they either learn something about themselves or accomplish a big goal. Those are the things that I think about when you know I'm frustrated or tired or whatever it may be, and you know, there's one athlete in our group at one point who told me that, you know, she used to not think of herself as an athlete because she didn't grow up playing sports. She was never involved in any physical activity, but became a runner later in life. And through our group, the morning show, but learned to believe in herself as an athlete and think of herself as an athlete. And I've seen her, you know, hit goal after goal because she just works hard, trusts in me as a coach, shows up and does the work. And those are the moments that I latch on to and that keep me going. So what advice would you have for somebody, you know, you've been very successful turning your passion into your professional career and a lot of people only dream of doing that. So can you share some general advice about how to go about making, you know, making that happen? Well, the first thing I'll say is that it's not for everybody. I'll say that that because I, I run into a lot of classmates of mine 
from grad school here and there that sort of look at what I do and think, oh, you have this dream job. I can't believe you have that. And they're sort of jealous or they show jealousy because they're in the corporate world and some job they're not super excited about. And, and so I always have to remind them that there's something in that too, you know, the comfort level of it, the predictability of it, because there's something for some people, which is that when you marry your passion and your job, you start to hate your passion. And I've seen it with employees of ours that have worked through for us through the years that got involved in road because they thought they wanted to make running, you know, which is a passion of theirs, a part of their career. And then they started hating it because then it became a job. And so I think that's one sort of word of warning. I would say is that you have to do a little bit of soul searching and, and really think about this and say, you know, is this something that, you know, is a part of me, is a part of my essence, or is it something that I enjoy and want to keep it as something I enjoy? And for me, I'm, I'm wired in a way that it never feels like work. Like, I don't ever go to work. I mean, if in fact, if I didn't have three kids at home and a wife that I love, I would probably be at Rogue all the time because it's never work. And so I'm lucky in that I found this thing that is work, is a job, you know, has stuff about it that's tedious when you have to clean the bathrooms or the training room or deal with legal stuff or, you know, there's stuff I don't, you know, particularly enjoy as a part of the, you know, the job. But but I always connect back to those stories that I just talked about and, you know, then it all goes away. So that's one thing is just go into it with eyes wide open and find a way to try it out first, you know, whether it be volunteering or, you know, working a side job or volunteering to coach, you know, for us, it's like there are ways to get involved in Rogue where you don't have to commit full time to, to this thing. So I would say first, try it, you know, find a way in a small way that you can sample it and see if once it becomes a little bit of a job or a thing you have to do, does that take away the love? Um, But then the second thing is, you know, identify that intention and then tell everybody who will listen. It's like most of the time we keep these things to ourselves and we think, I've got to go make this happen for myself. But if you set that intention and then tell everybody who will listen, doors will open, opportunities will pop up. And that's what happened for me, you know, in grad school. It's like once I told people this is what I wanted to do, just doors started opening. And, you know, your friends, your connections at work or wherever, people want it to help. So just tell them and then find ways to begin experimenting with it, either in small ways or bigger ways, and go from there. So... For those listeners out there who maybe have never run a marathon or are not runners and have thought about the idea but are looking for that kind of small nudge to sign up, do you have any advice um, that can help people kind of push over that edge? One, just pick a race. There's some The magic of a goal and a destination is hugely motivating. Pick a race. Find a friend who will do it with you like you guys have done and just sign up. Just start. Pay Just the money. Start. And then and then, you know, find some help. And that can come in the form of groups. Like I said, we've got lots of those, you know, at Rogue in Austin with Gilbert's Gazelles and Austin Fit. There's so many resources if you're here that can show you a path, but then just show up there, sign up for that and just show up and put one foot in front of the other. That's really as simple as it can be. You can make it more complicated if you want, but it doesn't have to be. You just have to be willing to sign up and then ask for a little bit of help. 
So, okay, we're going to finish with our five strides. All so right. these are the rapid-fire questions that we've crafted for you that we just kind of want a quick answer to. So we'll fire through these, and then we'll wrap it up. So first, piece of running gear you can't live without. Running gear? My shoes. I mean, you know, I have probably an, an un... Or I guess, you know... An inappropriate relationship with my footwear. <laughs> you, you could, you can ask my wife about this. I have more running shoes than anybody would want to count, and it's really, it really affects my running. You know, it's like every shoe, even if they're the same model, you know, just different pairs of the same type of shoe to me has a different personality of sorts. And I think of it like as like a portfolio and I've got, you know, at least the ones I'm wearing actively all laid out in our laundry room and I've got more in my closet. And so every day I go for a run, I pick a pair of shoes based on the experience that I want to have that day and or what I'm trying to accomplish that day. And, you know, that might mean, you know, choosing between two pairs of the exact same shoe that have been worn slightly (laughs) differently, but I know they're going to give me a slightly different ride because of how they've worn and so so yeah it's um, it's inappropriate maybe a little bit too much but it, it has a big impact on my running happiness and so I can't do without my many 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 pairs and their personality shoes and their personalities one day Brandy <laughs> we will get to this level with our running shoes man I have so much to learn I went into rogue for a fitting and a little over overshare here. I was wearing a nine and a half and they fit me at an 11. Oh. So up until this point, I have been running in shoes that are almost two sizes too small for me. Yeah. And it, it, it it's that a com- is not common surprising. Mistake. Common I, mistake. Yeah. Every one mile run, I feel like someone took a baseball bat to all the little bones in my feet. And it was as simple as maybe re- wearing the right size. <laughs> and remember, size is just a number. Yeah, oh, thank you, yes. Chris. <laughs> 11s are beautiful. There's, let, a, there's a funny thing. Be. There's a funny thing with women and running shoes. If you look at, and again, I'm analytical. I'm a coach. I'm a data geek. If you look at a bell curve for men's sizes sold in our store, it looks like a pretty good bell curve. You know, from size eight and a half to size thirteen. If you look at women's same curve, there's a massive spike at nine and a half. Because nobody wants, nobody wants to, to go, go to the 10. But it's insane. But it's just a number. You're like, I don't know what you're dealing with. It's just but a number. I know yeah. I do because I see it. It was very in helpful our, in, in our customers. I had these these fins attached to my legs. But <laughs> yeah. <it's, laughs> you know, you can't hide from it. Okay. So next, five, next in the five strides, do you do something special when you cross the finish line of a race? For me, there's something about timing mats in a race and timing. there's always timing mats at the finish line, but there's usually timing mats in a marathon and other places in the race. But when I cross a timing mat, I think about people that are watching at home or following along on the tracking screens because that's, for me, a way to tap into inspiring others but also connect into you know my teammates. And so when I cross a timing mat at a race, that's what I think about. I think about those that are cheering for me to gain inspiration from that or those that might be, you know, watching for their own inspiration. What about go-to post-race celebration meal? Well, usually races happen in the morning. I'm a big breakfast for any time of day person. Oh, yeah. Preach. Mm-hmm. And so getting a good breakfast, if it's in Austin, like I love after running 3M, going to Kirby Lane and getting a breakfast platter with some pancakes, eggs, and sausage 
There, that to me is about as good as it gets when it comes to post race because it's good, it's filling, and you feel like you earned it. What about where is your favorite place in the world to run? Whew, that's a big question. I've run in so many cool places. Two of the coolest one uh, running around Crater Lake in Oregon. Unbelievable. I did about a two and a half hour long run there. It's at altitude, so it's hard, but. So beautiful, so beautiful, and there's trail and a little bit of road if you want to do that. So that's one. I've also run in Cinque Terre in Italy, right on the coast there, really dramatic views, cliffs and, you know, coastline and cities and little towns that you can run through along that that way, you know, in those five connected cities. So those would be the two coolest places in the world that I've run. Okay, and one last question for you. What would you tell the 18-year-old version of yourself? Um, you know, one of the things that I appreciate about myself, you know, at times you have to sort of look at yourself and be like, you know, what's what do I do okay? One of the things I've always done well, or and I think it, some of it happened in that kind of eighth grade start sign that we talked about, is that I've never given a fuck what people think about me. You know, there are certainly times when maybe I've cared more than others, but um, I've never cared. And it's it's also, as a result, released me from traditional definitions of what success looks like or traditional definitions of how you should parent or how you should coach or how you should run or what you should do with your life. Like, I've never had any of the trappings of that. And I don't know where that comes from. I don't know if that's something my parents gave me or something I was born with. It's actually a big question for me as a parent. It's like, how do I give my kid that? Because, you know, if there's anything I want to pass on to them, it's that. Mm-hmm. Um, but at times I've questioned that and I've had doubts or been tempted to kind of follow the beaten path. And so if I could kind of go back and tell my 18-year-old self, you know, I would say, I would kind of give him a high five for being that way because I was already that way in a lot of ways and 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 tell him, you know, to just go, just do it, just follow those instincts and not sort of have these moments of doubt or question because it's a waste of time and energy. I love it. Just start. Just start. Yeah. <laughs> well, Chris, this has been an incredible, authentic conversation. I don't think Wendy and I could have planned for a better first launch of the Start Sign podcast. So thank you for being here with us today. Um, before we go, how can people find you? So you can find us at roguerunning.com. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Rogue Running. You can find the Running Rogue podcast on iTunes, Google Play, and iHeartRadio or on our show page, runningrogue.lipson.com. And you can follow me on Twitter if you want, at Chris McClung. Thanks, Chris. Thanks for having me. So that's a wrap. Thank you so much for listening to episode one of the Start Sign Podcast. We hope you enjoyed it and that you will subscribe and listen again. In the meantime, keep in touch with us on Instagram at the Start Sign Podcast uh, or on our website at thestartsignpodcast.com. And until next time, keep your eyes peeled. Start signs are all around you.